FaceTime with the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, Vodafone's allegedly leaky Huawei routers, and advice on mitigating risk to your internet surface. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. The Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance was formed in 1941 between Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK and the US. Clearly, intelligence in today's era of cyber risk from nation-state actors is as critical as ever. And recently, ISMG's Executive Editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, had the privilege of attending Cyber UK, a conference hosted by Britain's intelligence agency GCHQ, which included a panel discussion of representatives from Five Eyes. Here's Matt to tell us more. What a long way the Western intelligence establishment has come in recent years, driven in no small part not just by privacy, but also cybersecurity concerns. Last week, I was one of a group of journalists invited to attend Cyber UK, a conference organized by Britain's GCHQ intelligence agency. In previous years, the full conference was always closed to media. But it's 2019, and a push by intelligence agencies to be more transparent especially in the wake of former National Security Agency contractor Edward Snowden's leaks, continues. This is a far cry from the late 1990s, when the Echelon surveillance system, developed during the Cold War, first came to light, sparking furious public debate, especially in Europe. Built by the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance as a Cold War tool, Echelon had been updated to monitor modern communications. Five Eyes, meanwhile, refers to the Intelligence Alliance formed in 1941 between five countries, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK, and the US. And on stage at this year's Cyber UK in Glasgow, Scotland, representatives from each of the Five Eyes appeared together in public for the first time, at least on UK soil, to discuss how their countries are trying to bolster domestic cybersecurity. One trend has been to create public-facing, national cybersecurity agencies. The UK's National Cybersecurity Centre, which is part of GCHQ, was stood up in 2016 to provide a direct connection between GCHQ and the public, as well as to help with incident response. NCSC Director Kieran Martin said his agency has benefited from clear funding and a pragmatic mandate. Electoral security is a really interesting and challenging topic for organizations like ours in that one of the things that I like under our current arrangements is that political leadership gives you a very clear sense of risk appetite. They're not unreasonable. They don't say you can prevent all cyber attacks on everything. They've got a risk appetite. What you find in electoral security, and it's really commendable, is that risk appetite on electoral security is close to zero. At Cyber UK, Scott Jones, who heads the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity, told me that his centre, launched last year, is modelled on Britain's National Cybersecurity Centre. Speaking on the Five Eyes panel, Jones offered a flavour of the type of advice that his centre offers Canadian firms. We need to get left of the incident before things happen and say, how do we apply that to resiliency in the technical space? Um, We're not going to win this by speed of information sharing when there's an incident. We have to start to work on the systemic problems that we have in the, in the industry, and that's where we can learn from incidents. How did, how did this happen? What failed? And right now, I know that this could be controversial, but honestly, the basics matter so much. So many incidents are prevented by just doing the top three or top four of what we call our top ten. We all have a different version of it. Essential eight, I think, is the Australian version, and there's a top ten or cyber actions and things like that. But the fact is, 
patching is remarkably effective. At the same time, many attacks are launched by the usual suspects. Rob Joyce of the NSA said these four countries must continue to be named and shamed. If you look at the countries who have blatantly come out and attacked other countries in cyberspace or countries who are um, stealing wealth to avoid sanctions, right? They're, they're literally bank robbing in the cyber realm. It's a small group. You can name them on one hand, right? Russia is attacking neighbors and influencing people with their, um, with their national intent um, to shape policies and, and to, to, to achieve advantage. We've seen the Chinese stealing um, intellectual secrets that, that impact our economies. We've watched Iran attack near neighbors and, and put safety systems at risk. Um, and, and North Korea out there stealing banking information, right? It's a short list, and we've got to get comfortable as nations going out and saying that these countries are behaving in ways that are unacceptable. The governments of the different Five Eyes countries, of course, have their own take on cybersecurity and how they choose to interface with the public. And their respective governments don't always agree. Take Chinese tech giant Huawei. The U.S. is pushing for a full ban on using Huawei gear and 5G networks, including allies' networks. But allies have said in no uncertain terms that they will make up their own mind. Thank you very much. Regardless of these types of debates, Martin, in a press conference, told reporters that the panel at Cyber UK was a very strong display of Five Eyes unity. He also said the U.S. remains the U.K.'s closest operational cybersecurity partner. To better face the cybersecurity threats of tomorrow, no doubt such unity will remain essential. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Recent Bloomberg reporting finds that Vodafone routers supplied by Huawei in Italy had a number of security vulnerabilities and backdoors, adding further fuel to the fire that Huawei technology provides a channel for Chinese espionage. Here's ISMG's managing editor, security and technology, Jeremy Kirk, with a story. Vodafone is disputing a Bloomberg report that security vulnerabilities and backdoors in Huawei networking equipment could have allowed unauthorized access to its fixed-line carrier network in Italy. The vulnerabilities and backdoors were found in home routers, optical service nodes, and broadband network gateways in 2011 and 2012. Vodafone and Huawei, which remains a Vodafone partner, say the issues were fixed at the time. Huawei says there's absolutely no truth in the suggestion that Huawei conceals backdoors in its equipment. The story is causing somewhat of a stir in part due to terminology. Bloomberg refers to Telnet and some Huawei home routers as a backdoor. Vodafone says that's not the case, but rather Telnet was present for diagnostic purposes, but it should have been removed by Huawei later. The true story may be more nuanced. Huawei and Vodafone appear to be on the same page now. But Bloomberg cited internal Vodafone documents that indicated the company was irritated with Huawei for re-enabling Telnet after Vodafone requested it to be removed. Telnet is often used to administer routers and its presence is not unusual, but it can be a security issue if configured incorrectly or left directly exposed to the internet. But Bloomberg reports that at the time, Vodafone didn't allow router manufacturers to use Telnet. Vodafone says Telnet's presence on the routers was nothing more than a failure to remove a diagnostic function after development. 
Vodafone also took issue with Bloomberg's characterization of the impact. It said Huawei wouldn't have had unauthorized access to the carrier's fixed-line network in Italy. Huawei has faced numerous headwinds from countries concerned that its broad networking reach may be influenced by Chinese intelligence. But that negative background didn't stop many computer security experts from casting doubt on Bloomberg's story, in part because many router companies use Telnet for management purposes. But unfortunately for Huawei, a dark cloud follows it around. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. How far does an organization's risk surface extend, and who are the custodians of all that data? A new research report from Risk Recon and Scientia Institute aims to answer these questions and offer insights on third-party risk management. The research demonstrates that many organizations have a much larger and more complex risk surface these days, and they're putting a high degree of trust in third parties to protect high-value assets. I spoke with Kelly White, CEO and founder of Risk Recon, and Wade Baker, co-founder of the Scientia Institute, about the findings. I asked Wade and Kelly, what can be done to mitigate this risk? Here's Wade. You know, when I think about all that I've learned <laughs> over over studying lots of different incidents and aspects related to this problem, you know, it's, it's a, a challenge. Um, as Kelly mentioned, this has been uh, expanding over the course of time. I almost feel like organizations are chasing this this train that has left the station right <laughs> right you've the third party uh ship has sailed and and we're we're constantly chasing it so that's a that's a problem but i i think any time that you can recognize that you don't control all of your data and systems uh what exactly does that mean in terms of how you manage that you know visibility into where those are and what state they're actually in and knowing that who is taking care of them and and you know if if that has to be contractually with a third party then okay you get you've got to do that but the worst absolute worst is just to assume that you know everything's all right just to assume that you've got your arms around your perimeter and therefore all of your critical assets are protected is absolutely 100% false. You know, there's far more of you hanging out there on the internet than you probably realize. And I've always said step one is just accept that fact and, and move on from there. Kelly, what about yourself? I mean, obviously a lot of fascinating findings in this research. What, what should security practitioners be doing based on the finding? Yeah, uh, p- picking up where Wade left off, Organizations really need to uh, look in the mirror and do some self-reflection and ask themselves, do we really understand our whole cybersecurity risk surface? Yes or no? And why? Is the C- is your CMDB just populated with internal systems? Or do you have a good methodology for discovering and cataloging your third-party systems and dependencies? And it's from there that you can begin to manage. What the data shows is, number one, that organizations' risk surface is very expansive, spanning the globe, different geopolitical uh, realms, as well as tens, and in some some cases, hundreds of external hosting providers. The other part of the data is that um, organizations are not doing as well managing the externally hosted systems as they are managing their internally hosted systems. And there's value at risk in both places. You can't assume that your value at risk is centered around what's going on inside your own enterprise. The data shows that that high value at risk is everywhere. 
and that it's not being properly managed, I'd start with, as Wade said, understanding that larger risk surface. What is your methodology for maintaining awareness of that larger risk surface? Where exactly is your value at risk? And from there, you can then begin uh, managing that actively. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.